save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, and welcome to Our Wild World. Today, we are with the Mountain Lion Foundation, and my guests, Lynn Collins, the Executive Director, and Karina Domingo, Conservation Specialist. Mountain lions in the U.S. are in peril, as our laws have consistently allowed the eradication of this apex species, upon which entire ecosystems depend, whether it's keeping prey numbers in check, or feeding entire niches who scavenge off its kills. Further, killing lions to prevent livestock conflicts is a ineffective and unjustified. We have a critical need to know more about the biology, behavior, and ecology of mountain lions, and decisions about their management needs to be based upon good science, valid data, and the highest common good to the environment and sustaining lion habitat. Since 1986, the Mountain Lion Foundation has inspired citizens across the nation to act on behalf of lions and their habitat by presenting practical solutions to complex problems, providing unbiased information to media, aiding local activists, promoting lion research, and influencing regulation and changing laws. So with us today, I'd like to welcome Lynn Collins and Karina. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for inviting us. We're excited to be on the podcast. I am so glad to have you both here. I have been wanting to talk with you and the Mountain Lion Foundation for years. And uh, <laughs> this goes back to talking with Will Stolzenberg, a friend of mine, on his books, and especially the one Heart of a Lion. And uh, we covered that one Connecticut lion. So hopefully we can get a little bit into dispersing lions um, and what uh, Karina might be able to tell us about that and whether mm-hmm. they are dispersing or can. But we're going to start with the Lions of Kelly. California, as that's where you're located. So why don't we begin with just a little bit of history on the foundation and how you both came to be involved? Well, the Mountain Lion Foundation is a national nonprofit organization, and our focus is on protecting mountain lions and their habitat in the United States. And as you mentioned, we celebrated our 30th anniversary anniversary in November uh, 2016. Well, congratulations. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a it's a great milestone and we're seeing actual changes in people's perspective on these uh, our native cats and uh, we're a, we've been able over that 30 years to make some dramatic changes in terms of people's perceptions. We uh, are I've been involved with the foundation since uh, 1989, and the foundation was formed um, when a group of activists got together uh, in a living room and decided that it was time to end the trophy hunting of mountain lions in the state of California. And those activists uh, were effective and were able to um, see that 
uh, change uh, brought to fruition in 1990 as a result of a ballot initiative in the state of California. And I originally got involved with the Mountain Lion Foundation collecting signatures for that uh, citizen-driven initiative. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's great. And Karina? Um, Yeah, so I've been with the Mountain Lion Foundation since 2016, Um, and since then I've been uh, mitigating wildlife conflicts really in um, the Southern California area, um, working with state and federal agencies on small ranchettes to reduce the number of mountain lions killed on depredations. I originally um, got in contact with Mountain Lion Foundation actually when I was volunteering um, for uh, the P22 and Urban Wildlife event. And at the time, I was a community college student at Santa Monica College. And that's when I met Lynn Collins. And since then, um, I've been helping with successful conflict resolution, uh, science-based policy, and um, education and outreach. In your history, do you have a background of you know, working and um, in, involved in lion conservation specifically? Or, so do, specific- or do you come together because of the skills you have in terms of raising awareness and um, mitigating conflict? That, that, that's a talent. Right. So um, I'm, I'm the conservation specialist with the Mountain Lion Foundation, and my background is in wildlife biology. Okay. Um, so I'm a wildlife uh, biologist um, by career, yeah. Okay, great. Well, this is exciting. So one of the things I understand is mountain lions are protected in California, and here we are talking about killing mountain lions in terms of ranchettes and wildlife services and uh, taking them out. So that's a bit of an oxymoron or a dichotomy. Tell us how you, you work with that. Why don't we start with Lynn in terms of their protected status and why they're still allowed to be killed? Well, We should talk beyond California. We're a national organization, and the majority of mountain lions are killed intentionally outside of the state of California. Okay. But this is a good place to talk about both things. So when we talk about the mortality of mountain lions or how they are killed or how they die, um, we really break it up into um, the intentional killing by humans, unintentional killing by humans, and then... Uh, natural deaths um, that would occur uh, were mountain lions existing in an environment free of humans. Um, And some of the intentional uh, reasons for killing mountain lions, well, the most impactful is trophy hunting for mountain lions. And um, about 3,000 to 3,500 mountain lions are killed every year in the United States for trophies. And or for sport. Um, and to put that in perspective, only about 500 African lions are killed in the entire continent of Africa every year for trophies. So while our focus and our understanding may be on these um, species in remote con- continents, um, we're actually um, creating a devastating uh, problem for our own native species here in the United States. Alongside those legally um, killed lions um, that are um, lost due to uh, hunting that is managed by state agencies, 
We also have the shoot, shovel, and shut up phenomenon um, where mountain lions are killed um, and not reported without a license. We have killing of mountain lions by poachers. Um, and we also have mountain lions that are killed for um, retaliation after they have preyed on livestock or pets. Um, finally, um, there are is a tendency among some state agencies to turn to predator control as a means to increase prey herds. So in some states, we see mountain lions being killed in order to increase or protect deer, elk, and bighorn sheep populations. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that. And the first time I heard that, I was kind of shocked with the the desert sheep, a, a good friend of mine is Linda Searles, and she does a lot of the red uh, Mexican wolf. And we, she was telling me about the Desert Bighorn Sheep Project, and I was learning about it, to bring this species back. And I thought it was for bighorn sheep numbers. And she said, no, it's because we want to kill more. And so that, then that ends up killing lions. So... In a, in a national sense, you said 3,000 3, to 3,500 lions are killed a year. So how many lions do we have in the United States? And where are they mostly um, located? Well, um, our uh, when I said 3,000 to 3,500, that's actually only those lions that are killed um, in the trophy hunt or for sports and recreation. Um, and so it's really an additive mortality with all of these other factors. Um, and you have to ask the question, you know, how many are there? How many do we kill? Um, but first, I think we should probably talk about some of the unintentional uh, human caused losses um, for mountain lions. Okay. And of course, those, the, the primary factor for diminishing numbers of mountain lions um, today is the loss of their habitat or the degradation of the ecosystems that support them. Um, and that can mean things like development, but it can also mean just that we are um, losing the quality of habitat um, that lions once enjoyed in a less fragmented environment. So this is where issues of um, lions being killed on our roads and highways comes up. And, um, you know, we have to remember that on our roads and highways, it's not just the addition of new roads, but more importantly, the increase in human population that means that there are so many more cars on the road. And that increase in human population drives many of these unintentional human-caused deaths of mountain lions. So, for example, if you think about the number of people on our landscape and, and how many um, more there are than, say, in uh, 1920 or 1970, um, what we're also seeing is the concomitant um, increase in our livestock on the landscape, um, the number of pets on the landscape, the number of people recreating in mountain lion habitat, and again, coming back to the number of cars on our roads and freeways. And this is in both private lands and public lands, correct? 
Right. It's it's all across the American West. And even in the East, it impacts mountain lions that are um, moving east and might serve as the beginning to recolonize the east. Um, so though, when you add it all together, uh, mountain lion populations cannot withstand greater than about a 14 to 15% loss to the total human-caused mortality in um, for any extensive period. So that means you can't lose more than 14% of the adult population of mountain lions in any particular area for a sustained period of time without having impacts on the long-term viability of the mountain lion population there. And so when we look at all these factors of human-caused mortality together and we add up the losses... Um, that's what we have to compare to existing populations. Okay, so within that, and this is great information, it brings a question to my mind, and Corinna, perhaps you can answer this. It comes up to, in terms of natural mortality, cubs. How many cubs make it to adulthood? Because what I understand, uh, a mountain lion cub will stay with its mother for a couple of years to learn how to hunt. Then they have to disperse and find their own um, territory. So how many cubs are usually in a litter and how many make it to adulthood to be able to disperse and compete? Karina? Uh yeah, so not a lot. Um, the natural causes of mortality for lions, um, you know, include everything from uh, territorial disputes. Um, they could be abandoned um, by mother. Um, or picked up by unwitting um, visitors who think they're, they're lost or abandoned. Let me jump in and say that we looked for those numbers this morning and... It's funny that you asked that question so directly because we couldn't find the numbers um, right off the top. And so, um, you know, I think what we want to say is that even in a natural system, more than half of mountain lions don't make it to dispersal age. And then another um, half of lions um, don't dis- survive the dispersal process. Right, right. right. And, th- and that's, you know, that. That's similar to the African lion. We don't have an actual number. What we know is how many we're losing. But we, okay. it's, there, it's a very, an elusive animal like the mountain lion, who likes to be by itself, solitary. And uh-huh. um, it, it's difficult to count them. So this brings in the question of collared lions and your, your study and your histories of the collared lions, because many of them have been collared for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, mountain lions live a short th- 13 years in the, in the wild. And if they make it to old age, um, it's pretty unusual in this day and age. Um, few lions today live a full natural lifespan. Um, and... The key uh, to kind of getting a sense of how mountain lions are doing across the West uh, is really a numbers game. And unfortunately, mountain lion numbers are very, very difficult um, to establish. These are very broad-ranging predators. They um, have extremely large territories. And um, 
they're very difficult to uh, to count because they are such elusive animals and are so good at hiding from people. So when you asked how many mountain lions there are um, in the United States, our guess is somewhere around twenty to thirty thousand. Uh, that's a pretty small number, especially when you consider the challenges that they face. And the fact that when you take that number and you lay just the trophy hunting numbers against that, we're already removing about 10% of those lions every year. So in California, we found that um, where trophy hunting does not exist, that we're losing about 100 mountain lions every year, um, possibly more due to conflicts with domestic animals. And we're losing about 100 on our roads and highways. In addition, about 90% of the mountain lions that are necropsied by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife are found to have multiple poisons in their systems. And so we're seeing um, a dramatic increase in the number of mountain lions that are being impacted by particularly rodenticides that make their way up the food chain. Now this is Again. a really this is a really important point that I'd like to discuss <laughs> with you both a little bit further. Right now we need to cut to a break, so stick with us and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. 
We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Our Wild World. I'm Ellie Weiss. We're visiting with the Mountain Lion Foundation today with Lynn Cullens, the Executive Director, and Corinna Domingo, the Conservation Specialist. So as we left off at the first um, part of our show today, we ended up with the the point of rodenticides entering into our ecosystems and the cascading consequences that they this has on our ecosystems and the wildlife that lives in there. So this is a big point. So Lynn or Corinna, could you carry on on this point of the drastic effects that is, this is having on and what we're learning about the lions that are still alive and the ones that are dying as a result of this. Well, let me jump in first and then uh, pass this off to Karina, who can tell you the story of some individual lions who've been impacted by rodenticides. Um, rodenticides um, actually affect mountain lion prey um, from two um, very different um, or origins. Um, the first is our use um, of rat poisons, um, across agricultural, commercial, and residential um, pesticide concerns. And um, what we're finding is that those, uh, those poisons make their way up the food chain, uh, whether it's a rat who takes the bait um, and is consumed by a mesopredator like a coyote and then the coyote consumed by a mountain lion, or whether it's um, a native rodent species um, which takes that prey or a raccoon, um, there is a food chain and those um, predators are at the top and those poisons do make their way um, up through the food chain. And over time, um, they keep building up, right? Yes. Okay. And, um, the, but the other and less recognized way that poisons are making it into our wildlife are illegal marijuana grows where not just rodenticides, but a variety of pesticides designed to keep deer and rabbits from eating marijuana plants um, are also now not just infecting those species that might eat a rat or a rodent, but also affecting species like deer and rabbits that are herbivores and may also be consumed by apex predators. And in many cases on these illegal marijuana grows, um, what these pesticides are being used in concentrations um, thousands of times over what is allowed um, in the United States. And in many cases, the kinds of poisons that are being used are outlawed in the United States and are obtained by these illegal growers over the internet and other sources. Um, And this puts lots of animals, uh, wildlife at risk, far more than the public understands, and may actually be putting humans at risk as well. We're not very far along in terms of our testing 
of um, marijuana even as it becomes legalized. So you, that's a good point. Not only the chemicals in the marijuana, and now it's legalized in California, but the chemicals building up in the wildlife, building up in the landscape, the waters, everything, the runoff. So yeah. pesticides... Go ahead. I think it's important to note, um, you know, I live in Humboldt County and, um, you know, that's known as one of the biggest, you know, pot capitals of uh, the state of California. And I really think it's important to note that while, um, you know, private grow operators may potentially be using pesticides, um, herbicides, fungicides, et cetera, that may definitely be harmful to wildlife, a lot of uh, the uh the uh, instances that Lynn was just discussing um, are coming out of systematic uh, grow operations, right? These are, these are drug cartels. These are huge operations that are happening on our public lands. And so there is an incredible amount of these uh, illegal grow sites. And, um, you know, I think they just tested some of the water up in Humboldt and some of the work done, investigative work done by scientists up there have shown that whole um, water uh, areas where people get water from, their whole water supply is actually contaminated. So not only does it have implications for wildlife and ecosystem health, it has extreme implications, like you were just saying, with water and where people get their water from. And they tested it, and it's positive for these, for these uh, pesticides. So it's it's bad stuff. Wow, wow. So Karina, um, let's talk about a couple of the lion stories of the lions you've you you know. Um, I don't know if you've met them personally or seen them, but the, <laughs> the you know tell right. us about how you work with that and a couple of the lions. So I think one of the biggest uh, cases that was sort of seen on the media was when uh, mountain lion P-22 was caught on camera with a really bad case of mange. And um, while the connection between the exposure to these rodenticides and mange is still not fully understood by scientists... Um, it's pretty clear that uh, the images of P-22 when he was caught on trail cameras, that he was in pain and that he was suffering from a really severe uh, parasitic disease of the hair and skin, you know, commonly known as mange. And the blood tests um, that uh, wildlife biologists obtained from him uh, later on showed that he, uh, po- uh, he tested positive to these anticoagulant rodenticides. And P-22 lives, of course, um, if you haven't heard about him before, he lives in Griffith Park, um, where, um, you know, millions of people recreate every single year. And so National Park Service biologists actually ended up capturing him and they treated him for mange, which is a situation that other lions, especially non-collared lions, they don't get that sort of treatment and benefit. And so thankfully, P-22 was able able to be saved by biologists at the National Park Service. Um, but many lions die um, from 
mange or from exposure to these anticoagulant rodenticides in the wild. And, you know, those necropsies are never done because they're dying in, you know, natural systems. Um, But it's a really bad death. Um, Animals who have been hit by cars um, have been seen, um, you know, uh, lions that have been hit by cars. You know, when uh, mountain lion, uh, when biologists have opened them up, they they literally bleed to death from the inside. So it's a horrible way to go. Um, this stuff is really nasty, and there's still so much more that we need to learn about it. So it's it's definitely um, uh, something that we should be considering with mountain lion management. Well, you brought up two things that sparked a, a couple of questions in my mind. A P twenty two living in Griffith Park, um, you know, amidst millions of people, how successful a mountain lion is, and how skilled they are in living with us, and still not often be seen, or mm-hmm. if seen and around people, it proves the case that mountain lions do not go after people. So that fear of, you know, being out in the wild. And yes, we've seen the videos of bicyclists coming up and Uh meeting a mountain lion. And we we have good information on how to prevent an attack. So there are not many known attacks of mountain lions on people. So that's one myth we can dispel. P-22 proves that in a way. The other point is that the wild lions that are not being seen by people... um, this is the question. How do you go about finding them? Where, where are they? How do you end up getting the report? Is it um, a resident or a biologist or uh, a recreation sports person out in the wild that finds a dead lion? Or are these collared lions? Tell us a you- bit more. Usually, um, I would say that a lot of the deaths that occur um, in natural landscapes with uncollared lions just go undetected. Um, I think a lot of the opportunity for us to learn about the biology of mountain lions in our states is actually through counting and analyzing uh, them on the roadways when they're hit by vehicles. Um, And that's an opportunity that every state has, um, you know, is, you know, here in California, we have Caltrans and um, a lot of states don't monitor or count how many lions are killed on freeways or on roadways. And so that's a huge opportunity for us. Um, And since, you know, uh, they're mountain lions are especially protected species in the state of California, we do a little bit of a better job at this. And UC Davis has a program where they are counting wildlife that are hit and killed um, through vehicle collisions on the freeways. But these are citizen science-based observations. And so Caltrans and other transportation agencies, I think there's a really big opportunity to start Um, obtaining data from these um, road kills. And so we can test, you know, we could test those toxic levels. Uh, We can test to see how often do mountain lions have mange or is mange associated with highly urbanized areas or areas where there's potentially high densities of illegal marijuana grow operations. So there's a big opportunity for us to be able to learn more about just the roadkill fatalities. Um, well, and you know, that's a 
that's a problem um, nationwide. And so one of the, the things that makes management of these far-ranging predators like mountain lions, wolves, and bears um, a difficult proposition for us nationwide is that their management and their conservation is handled state by state. And so not only do we not know how many mountain lions there are, and that is a tough number to get at, but we don't even know how many we're killing. And so the way they count mountain lion mortalities, which numbers they count, um, and whether they're including um, the different causes of mortality differs dramatically from state to state. That's a really also, that's a really important point because there's really no unified um, way to deal with this. So, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Does that end up creating an ability where you can get the data and incorporate it, or are we looking for ways nationally to create a unified database on mountain lions? Well, we. We maintain a database based on the information that is available from those state agencies. But the problem is, is that, for example, um, the in California, um, where we don't have hunting of mountain lions, we don't even have great numbers on the number of depredation permits that were issued and the implication of those depredation permits in terms of whether they were actually carried out and a mountain lion was killed for preying on pets and livestock. Nor do we have good numbers on roadkill. Nor right. do we have good numbers on uh, mountain lions that were killed um, by poisoning. Or, and obviously, we don't have good numbers on poaching and shoot, shovel, and, and shut up. But even in those, er- in those states where there's trophy hunting of mountain lions, um, the lack of consistency from state to state even in those areas where they're issuing a hunting license or issuing a permit, is very difficult to count, um, in part because they're counting not on a calendar year. Um, Some of them may have additional predator control programs um, managed by a different agency. So there's no central clearinghouse for all of this information, nor is there an effort by the state's to create a comprehensive database like we would like to see. And part of the reason for that is because in some cases, the agencies don't have a sense at all about the number or percentage of mountain lions that they're killing in their own state. And the lack of transparency um, is in many cases clearly intentional. Well, this is, um, that's great information, and thank you. So this this does tell us that we de- do need a unified, uh, comprehensive database across the nation for this apex predator carnivore. It's important to understand because they are a critical part of our ecosystems. Mm-hmm. But this is a good point to bring up, you know, orphaned cubs. So um, I don't know if these hunts include canned hunts where people are buying lions off the internet or raising them um for them for the mm-hmm. bullet or if these are hunts that are wild lions and permits are received from the u.s fish and wildlife to take them out as a trophy or as a problem animal so what happens to the cubs when a female mm-hmm. is killed it, it, the, the cubs mortality and then the numbers the possible numbers 
of lions that could be born Mm -hmm. when a female's taken out? Well, that's one of the... So first of all, um, again, trophy hunting is not managed by the federal government, by, but by each state's wildlife agency. And so it differs from state to state. Um, but we um, are challenged by um, the fact that um, not all states even record uh, whether the lion that was killed by a hunter was, was a female or not. Some states count lions and base their hunt Uh, formulas on um, the number of mountain lions as a whole, including youngsters and kittens. Remember, they stay with their mom till they're two years of age. Others um, make a distinction by age and by sex. Mm -hmm. So in coming up with a comprehensive database, it's not only um, um, setting up the database itself, but actually mandating the states to provide the kinds of numbers that would allow us to have um, a better sense about not only the number of adults that we're killing, but the implications to the social structures of mountain lions in those areas. And I'd also presume genetics, Mm -hmm. that there's a a wide enough, broad enough uh, scope. Because the way we hunt mountain lions, or even the way mortality um, occurs unintentionally, such as in the case of roadkill, is... um, is a variable that differs broadly from region to region and area to area. And so where mountain lions may in general be, have a fairly healthy population in a state, you may have pockets in that state where mountain lions are tremendously isolated and their genetics, which are quite important, are being uh, damaged and that we're losing important mountain lion genetic material. Uh, This is important information, and uh, we're going to come back right after the break because we have a lot more to learn. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary beautiful predators are in danger without them our rivers dry up our forests don't grow our communities go hungry our biodiversity crumbles wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems the wild effect it's in our hands ellie founded wild eyes foundation because she loves africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? 
Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Our Wild World with my guests, Lynn Collins and Corinna De- uh, Domingo and the Mountain Lion Foundation, an uh, organization that uh, focuses on mountain lions nationally and within the state of California. So uh, at the last section, we were talking about what happens uh, as a result of hunts since we're not tracking whether they're males or females and whether the female had cubs. And Corinna, you had a, a story you were going to talk about a particular orphan. Yeah, just recently in October of 2018, uh, a mountain lion about 9 to 10 months old that was later named Jasper uh, was found in Modoc County in Northern California after his mother was killed on a legal depredation permit, right? And so these situations um, result in orphaning um, and the agencies have to figure out if we're going to kill this female, or they should be figuring out if, if, the, if the depredation permit is on a female lion, what sort of repercussions um, is, are going to come of that? And how do they even go about detecting whether or not she currently has cubs that are dependent on her, right? right. Um, and so I guess that's a really sad example on how, and a good segue into talking about how to protect our pets and livestock so that we could prevent these sad stories from occurring. Absolutely. So um, let's, let's focus on that a bit. You know, the, the positive measures that we can take as residents or ranchers or livestock owners or um, agricultural growers uh, to um, keep a boundary between us and the lions without killing them. Well, you know, the the talk about the recent fires actually leads us right into a conversation about defensible space. And one of the things that we realized in creating a model program for communities um, that were conducting in Southern California in a place called Julian in San Diego County, which had a major fire um, more than a decade ago, is that um, the defensible space that is suggested by... Uh, fire authorities in order to protect uh, rural homes from um, those conflagrations is also the kind of defensible space that you need around your home to best protect yourself from predators and to protect your domestic animals, whether livestock 
or um, pets. Most of the animals that are killed um, by mountain lions, and almost every mountain lion will depredate or take a domestic animal once or twice in its lifetime. They're opportunistic hunters. Um, Most of those are not uh, what we think about as a conflict between ranchers and the predator. But in fact, for mountain lions, most of those animals are... Uh, goats and sheep or pigs or chickens that are in small numbers in backyards in those ranchette properties that you see climbing up the hillsides throughout the West. So one of the most important things is to create defensible space. But then uh, Tell we it, need wait, to have um, people... let's, let's back up a second. Tell us sure. what this defensible space is. Is it like comparable to a buffer zone? Yes, it's mm-hmm. a buffer zone where you clear vegetation between your home um, and the areas where you keep your domestic animals and the, the, um, the wildlands where mountain lions roam. And so um, the idea is that you should be considering as you um, look at your property, particularly if you live in mountain lion territory, um, from the perspective of being able to see a mountain lion when it enters an area where you, uh, your family and your pets and your livestock um, survive, and make sure you have a clear line of sight, make sure that you don't have vegetation under which an animal would be likely to um, shelter. Um, not feed wildlife or provide sources of water, and in some cases actually set up deterrent devices to keep animals, uh, wild animals from entering your landscape. Um, really the best example of this is people who feed deer don't realize that by doing so, they're not only bringing those herbivores onto their uh, their well-established lawn, but they're also inviting uh, coyotes and mountain lions to follow in. Those who have a pond for raccoons, same thing. So it's learning about the balance that we need to keep between um, having wildlife-friendly landscapes, but at the same time making sure that we're not creating a situation where we put predators and carnivores at risk. Especially as we are rapidly moving into these habitats and changing them from wild to semi-wild. And as we create our uh, habitats and landscapes in their backyard, we are providing a perfect place for predators to come in. As Lynn just said, when we want to see wildlife and we kill the, we, excuse me, we feed the deer or we feed the other mesocarnivores because we like seeing them, then we are literally attracting the larger carnivores and predators into our spaces. So this brings me to just a little point. All the videos that you see, like on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, of people in their homes filming the mountain lion, its four cubs or whatever, on their porch. We shouldn't be, is is fascinating and marvelous and thrilling as it would be to see a mountain lion that close. We have to not uh, encourage that. So what can people do when a mountain lion is on their deck? Well, first of all, you should take all the steps that you can to keep a mountain lion from getting on your deck in the first place. One of the big things is to not be feeding your animals outside. So bringing in cat and dog food that might 
um, draw in, again, other smaller animals. Um, just like there's a food chain, there's also a, that food chain is becomes part of your own backyard if you start it by putting out pet food. But, um, you know, really a lot of that has to do with an, a better understanding about mountain lions. And we have so much information about this on our website at www.mountainlion.org. And one of the things that we really um, uh, rely on the public to help us with is that, you know, we're seeing those videos and we're seeing those mentions on Facebook in and on next door about mountain lion sightings and we're getting more pictures not because there are more mountain lions but because there are more people with whom they may come into conflict and also because we have these new media like trail cameras and social media which means that you hear more often about a mountain lion being sighted in a neighborhood not because again there are more mountain lions but because there are more opportunities to capture the image of that lion and to talk about it in a social media session section well that's that's a perfect segue into uh, i'm just going to bring up will stolzenberg's book heart of a lion he's listed on your website as well it was through trail cams and dna testing that they were able to track what has come to be known come to known as the connecticut lion and where it originally came came from and after it was hit by a car in Connecticut, we were able to put together its story, its backstory. So mm-hmm. you, the, the, the technological ability that we have to put up trail cams and surveil our lands, landscapes to see if predators and carnivores are coming in is a great way to um, be active in making them mm-hmm. stay away. Right. Right. And there's and the thing is that it can be a liability if people believe that the numbers are increasing and there's no reason to to believe that mountain lion numbers would be increasing as their habitat, their prey base uh, reduce and conflicts increase. Um, But what we rely on people um, for is to get out valid information about mountain lions on those social media Um, and YouTube listings, um, go to our website, learn about mountain lions, and then be the person who gets that information out to your friends and your families and across those social media opportunities that um, and throughout your neighborhood. So, you know, we work with uh, individuals, neighborhoods, communities, local governments and states when there are incidents involving mountain lions that could potentially turn into a conflict but even more often just a sighting of a mountain lion that can some people sometimes put people um, in a state of fear and concern and so getting the word out is a really important way that you can help and becoming a member of the foundation spending time on our website that's a really um, big contribution to the conservation of these big cats. Um, But additionally, um, on our website, we offer opportunities for people to weigh in on changing policies across the 16 states that allow mountain lion hunting 
um, in the United States. And so as policies are considered by legislators and by commissions in each of those individual states, and as agencies make decisions about how many lions to hunt and whether to make that more available, um, we, we let people know about how they can weigh in to actually have an impact on policy. And this is important. Um, and, this this is know, very important. I'm sorry to inter- interject. No, not at all. This is very important these days as we have an, an, an administration that is rapidly going about uh, taking apart our environmental protections and uh, hunting laws and all sorts of factors that affect the wildlife and the big cats. So this is a critical time for our listeners and the public to, as Lynn said, weigh in on helping to change and bring up to more current standards uh, individual states' legislation. And we urge people to become involved in understanding about mountain lion hunting in their states because very few people are actually aware that trophy hunting of mountain lions still exists in the United States, and many are appalled to learn that it's happening right in their own backyard. A really good um, place to start learning about how this can impact uh, the U.S. generally is to look at what's happening in Nebraska, South Dakota, and North Dakota, where there are very, very few lions. In fact, in Nebraska, fewer than 75 lions um, still remaining in the state, and yet they've reestablished a trophy hunt in the state this year. Um, Similarly, um, in the areas of the Black Hills in North Dakota and South Dakota. And these are the very lions that would help us repopulate the East. The impact of lions um, is really um, significant, not just in terms of their value to ecosystems where they bring um, food and um, and sustenance to a variety of other creatures help keep the mesopredator populations down and help keep prey populations healthy, but also for people because the reason we see um, the eastern United States overrun with deer and with coyotes is because we've gotten rid of the natural predators, um, primarily the mountain lion in the east. It's actually been um, shown that if mountain lions were re-established in the east, that at least um, 20 people would um, uh, be, lives would be saved every year simply by reducing the number of deer and so thereby reducing the number of people who were killed as a result of deer collisions on the road. So it's a complex topic. Reintroduction Um, and, yes, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, um, what we need people to do is understand that this matters at the level of individual lions, their social structures, and their populations. And every time we kill a lion, we lose a little bit of what distinguishes us as humans, our capacity for compassion, for making rational decisions that benefit the common good. And for overcoming the urge to demonstrate power and dominance at the expense of our neighbors and our environment. And if we lose these big cats, we'll be mourning a species that we barely understood. We're right at that technological point where we're learning more about lions. And there's so much to say. So I hope people will go to our website and learn about some of the most recent research um, 
it'll be the greatest loss if we knew just enough to save them, enough to change our own behavior, which is the only thing that will change their eventual survival, enough to make a difference and that we choose not to act. That's an excellent point, and it's it's a critical point in these days because we are at this turning point of who do we want to be as a species and how we want to live on this earth and what we are going to pass on. So, um, you know, this is, we're out of time. This was a fabulous conversation. I can't thank you enough, Lynn and Corinna. And listeners, please do check out the website, mountainlion.org. There's a ton of information. Go through the menu. There's stories. There's how you can help. You can donate. And um, there's could be lectures and seminars in your area. And if you've seen a lion in your area, um, document that and provide the information to the Mountain Lion Foundation. So thank you, Lynn and Corinna. We're, we have to end for today. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and your listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, you're very welcome. As I said, I've been waiting for this conversation for a while. So I'm in hopes that we can connect again and we can keep up to date on what's going on on our American lion and um, change these laws and become compassionate and decide we can coexist with our carnivores. So until next time, this is Our Wild World, Ellie Weiss, and step out into your wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.